Hello, Lisa. Hello, Diana. Welcome to Should We? A podcast with potential. We recorded our latest episode very recently. We did, um, but I feel like we already have so much to say again. We have so much to say that we might need to record another one like a few days from now, but we'll yeah. we'll see. We'll see. Maybe seven days, which is the normal amount. <laughs> <laughs> it does feel fi- kind of funny, actually, because uh, we fell a little behind one week, but now I feel like we're ahead mm-hmm. because these these recordings are happening so close together, but they won't be published close together, so... So you'll hopefully things will just feel kind of the same. Yeah. For Steady people, state. Yeah, for those who are listening. We have some questions today, as usual. Mm-hmm. The first one on my mind is, how old should we be? <laughs> yeah. Well, this question is very timely, I think, because right now we're right in between the time between our birthdays. So you just had one, and I'm about to have one. Um, and, you know, both of us, I think, have always felt older than we are on the inside. I would say, you know, when I when I was 12, I felt like maybe I was about 40. Um, and then... Uh, and and I've always loved being around people who are older than me. Um, and uh, so so how old should we be? I would say that on the inside, I still feel much older than I am. And right now I'm really identifying with um, retirement. <laughs> and I, I feel like it's very easy for me to imagine being... 65 or so. Uh, What do you think? Well, I share your history of feeling older than I have actually been at every point. I remember my mom describing me as a 40-year-old in a 9-year-old's body. So Mm -hmm. this is a theme. And uh, I think one possible explanation is that we were both oldest children. Yes. So oldest children spend the first few years of their life only really interacting with adults. There's no one for them to be kids with. So even though I obviously was a child, all of the speech patterns and people I looked up to were, there was a large gulf between us that Mm -hmm. I traversed through mimicry and um, some sort of eerie precociousness. Uh Right. But then my, the question that's bugging me lately, now that I'm I feel like my spirit age is is retirement. I'm like, okay, how many how many more years do I have before I kind of fall off the map of of human experience? Like <laughs> is there going to be a point where maybe the clock turns backwards for me on the inside? And and I think that's kind of what I'm hoping for is that at some point soonish um I'll stop feeling older than I am and and I will become actually a very playful and childlike older person. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to enter the uncharted territory. (laughs) (laughs) What would a 150-year-old human being be like and feel like? Yeah, I don't think I want that. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think that 
part of why I feel as good as I do these days is because my actual age has caught up a lot to my internal age, you know? Mm. Um, I think that the age I am now is a more suitable age for responsibility leavened by indulgence. (laughs) Like, um, (laughs) that's pretty hard to accomplish when you're younger because indulgence in order to feel good to me needs to be grounded in quite a lot of uh there needs to be a contrast like constant indulgence um and sort of laxness just starts to feel shapeless um Mm -hmm. but uh I feel like I finally have the resources and the wherewithal um to you know be very productive most of the time and then do my best to relax and enjoy myself sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, I I think we both relish being responsible. Yeah. <laughs> I feel really good about myself when I'm being responsible. I feel like a good person. Yeah. I feel like the kind of person who takes care of things. Um, but one of my life uh, challenges has been to interrogate this idea of quote-unquote kind of person Mm -hmm. because there aren't actually concrete categories of people you know like it's not binary whether you're a good or a bad person Mm -hmm. or responsible or irresponsible and most people I don't think spend that much time thinking about me anyway so like the kind of person I am matters to me but people aren't categorizing (laughs) you and if they are it's probably more about them than Mm -hmm. it is about me but in on my inside I feel this interior desire to uh, know whether I'm like on the good list or the bad list Mm -hmm. or like you know meeting my own expectations of myself or not and I see that in a relatively binary way or I have historically but the problem with this is that because I'm relatively omniscient about myself like I can't really cut myself a break if I see the world in that way like if I do a thing once I then in my mind become the kind of person who does it like one example is like eating um like ice cream for breakfast or something you know like binge watching TV. binge watching tv exactly <laughs> all of these things it's like if I do it then if I do it even once then I'm the kind of person who did it once but I have like an inconvenient level of omniscience about myself such mm-hmm. that if that's my framework um it's going to be very rigid and I don't actually have any desire to lead a rigid life nor right. do I see it having any practical benefits and you wouldn't have those standards for other people definitely not I know there are always exceptions and I judge other people by how they treat me and like what seems uh what seems like their steady state mm-hmm. this This is making me think of something from Brene Brown's book, Rising Strong. I love that book. Love it. It's so good. And there's a point in there that's very poignant where she says, uh, she talks about whether or not people agree with the statement, I believe other people are doing the best that they can. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, she realized that she discovered through her research that people who are very resilient tend to agree with that statement. And it means that they're, they're easier on 
on other people, more compassionate towards them, and they're more compassionate towards themselves. Um, so I feel like this is very relevant here. Very relevant and very uncomfortable to remember because yeah. that was a difficult part of the book for me to read and accept. And what me I liked too. about the book and what I like about all of Renee Brown's writing is that she is introspective and generous with uh, her own challenges with each of these concepts. So she said, you know, someone told her this and she spent like weeks, maybe months asking herself the question and concluded she basically didn't believe people were doing their best mm-hmm. at all times and then realized how sad that was that she didn't believe that. Right. Um, and that she wouldn't uh, give herself the gift of believing that. Um, and I felt the same way when I was reading the book. I cringed. I had to put it down. Oh, yeah. Me yeah. too. Me too. I thought about it for days and days and I still think about it from time to time when something frustrating happens and I I really have to it it almost feels like I have to take my brain out turn it around backwards and put it back in in order to be get comfortable with that idea that that everyone is doing the best that they can and that I am too Mm -hmm. yeah because that means it's enormously sad personally to realize that what you have thought of as not enough may be because the hurdles are just that high. Like, it's not for lack of discipline. Mm-hmm. It's not for lack of a plan and gumption. It's really just these are the circumstances. And I think that's what I resist in the model is that I really want the agency to be able to overcome whatever situation I'm in. I don't want the situation to define the outcome. But the gentleness that could come from imagining or believing that whatever I'm doing is enough. Mm -hmm. I, I think that that idea also could bring a lot of compassion toward my past self. You know, when I look back and I'm like, why did I do this? Or I, I would have just done things so differently if I could go back and talk to my past self. But actually I, I was doing the best I could with the information I had and the the experience I had so far at that point in my life. I also think that aside from the fact that we were both really uh, old children, um, you know, we were both also very uh, obedient children for the most part. And I was a pretty good rule follower. You know, I had a rogue streak, but it expressed itself only in creative fields where there were no real risks to either my identity or people's perception of me. Um, And so, you know, I experienced in my early 20s a lot of fear when things didn't go exactly as planned because I hadn't taken that many risks with the fundamentals of life. And, you know, I went through a two-year stretch of horrible grief um, for a good reason and was really disappointed in myself the whole time because uh, that's actually not true. Like I would have thought I would be disappointed in myself, but I actually didn't have the energy to be disappointed in myself. Mm-hmm. I did ex- I did reach a point of exhausted grace where I just like had to accept the situation as it was. But um, past me would have had a really hard time imagining that because I spent so much time trying to avoid even minor bad outcomes. But once something really bad happens, um, 
it is maturing in a different way because all of a sudden you see what resilience means and what the stakes really are and experience in a bodily way what it means to bounce back and that it's possible. And I think that maybe intellectually I could have agreed that it might be possible to do that before I experienced it, but my my bodily experience was like no way not in a million years like I will avoid that at any cost you know right right and I think when you say bounce back maybe you mean like climb back up (laughs) one step at a time which which we both have have experienced like there's something really terrifying about um you know you're like going along in life and you have things like you know, you, you just, you've been sick like a normal person or you've had like disappointments and and you know about bouncing back. Mm-hmm. But then sometimes you're going along in life and you just like fall down a well <laughs> yeah. and you don't bounce. <laughs> you just like hit the bottom, and you, you know? And you sort of jiggle your butt and you're like, <laughs> I can't, I can't, where's the... Where's the bounce? Yeah. <laughs> There's no bounce. There's no bounce. There's no bounce and you just you just climb back up little by little. That is that is really the hardest thing and and probably you know most scary the first time it happens. I, I imagine it happens for most people multiple times in their lives. But I I think that's that's a lot of what this this book is about, rising strong mm-hmm. and and why I love it so much. Yeah, I mean, this is, I did not have any of this in mind when we started this conversation. So now I'm trying to uh, weave it into this question of how old should we be? Mm -hmm. And I suppose there's these, um, there's these vectors of like responsibility, peace, and uh, acceptance. Maybe there's more vectors, who knows? Um, but I think that I had a lot of, uh, responsibility when I was young. Um, but now the kind of peace and acceptance has, uh, increased a lot such that I feel more at home and more comfortable in my own skin, mm-hmm. um, while still enjoying the benefits of the kind of person I've always tried to be. Right. Right. Okay. Diana, I feel like this actually leads really well into our next question, which is, should we have confidence? Whoa. Whoa. Do you want to go first or should I go first? I, you'll need to go first because okay. I'm still wrapping my head around it. Okay, I'll go first. So I was thinking about it because of how you were saying, like, kind of growing into the, the person that you were always trying to be. Um... Uh, there's an article you sent me by Mindy Kaling about confidence, which I absolutely loved. And if I'm remembering it correctly, basically what she's saying is that people always ask her, how does she have such confidence? How how can one build the type of confidence she has? And um, and she kind of confesses that she never really knows what to say. Um and actually it turns out it just takes time like there's there's nothing you there's not much you can do except just live your life 
for quite a while without confidence and in a way you you like you don't you don't really deserve to have confidence (laughs) confidence about what you haven't done anything you haven't failed yet you haven't taken a risk or um and you haven't maybe succeeded in in an exciting way so so she's basically saying uh maybe like don't don't worry about it so much or I, I think now it's now it's just me I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking I'm thinking about her article but but it's something I have thought about so much um there have there have certainly been times when I've been told like you you don't appear confident in certain situations you know could you like work on that you know um and I'm I'm baffled by that because in some of those situations I actually did I really believed in myself and I didn't realize I didn't appear confident and then in other times it's like well but I I actually am not confident (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing I'm not confident that I, I can succeed at what I'm doing I'm just trying I'm just trying something for the first time and now I feel, especially around this milestone of a birthday, I feel like I do have so much more confidence than I did even just a couple of years ago. My confidence has grown exponentially throughout the end of my 20s. And I'm so happy about that. (laughs) And so my answer to the question, should we have confidence, is you can't manufacture it uh should we even worry about having it no just just do what you're trying to do and and it will come yeah as you were speaking I was identifying with a lot of what you said and realized that I need to splinter it into two questions one is should we take up space and one is something else that I just forgot. <laughs> one is, <laughs> should, one is should we take up space and one is should we collect evidence? Mm-hmm. And so should we collect evidence is my uh, takeaway from that Mindy Kaling article, which is like the way to gain confidence is by uh, proving things to yourself through doing them and ideally proving them repeatedly such that you've experienced a bunch of different Um, variables and you know what is held constant in terms of the outcomes and you know sort of all the strategies for uh, making something uh, making something work out in the end in an acceptable way uh, even if it's rocky and so should we collect evidence definitely yes Um, and I orient a lot of my life that way in terms of designing risks worth taking and then uh, trying to be kind to myself as I attempt to deliver on them with with the idea that it will inc- like expand my sense of self and what I'm capable of. Um, and then the nice thing is that if the evidence is external, other people can see it too, and it increases their perception of your competence as well in a way that's very accurate. Um, but the other splintered piece of this, which is should we take up space, is more complicated for me because when people say, could you just work on your confidence? Sometimes they're asking, could you make me more comfortable with the level of responsibility you have? Mm. And 
could you do that by acting comfortable? <laughs> but the challenge with acting comfortable is that it's uh, acutely inauthentic if you're not actually comfortable. Mm-hmm. And there's a great book about this called The Charisma Myth, which is basically saying that it is possible to produce charisma. You're not born with it. It's not like an inherent trait. Uh, but it is not possible to express charisma without being truly comfortable. And so the whole book is about how you get comfortable, um, both in very practical ways, in a room or in your clothes, um, and also sort of comfortable with your strengths and weaknesses and um, what you bring to the table and all of that. So comfort, uh, like should we be comfortable? Definitely. Um, Should we also expand our comfort zone through, you know, strategic Mm -hmm. discomfort? Also, yes. But should we... Um, should we perform comfort for other people? No. No. And um, I, I actually, you know, sometimes with this question, I feel like it helps to think of other people that I admire. And uh, it's often been really helpful to me when someone I admire admits their vulnerability or shows, like, um, voluntarily or not, some faltering of confidence you know because you realize they're human um so i think having that expectation for ourselves that we should always appear confident is just it's too much it's not necessary right i mean i think that confidence can also be really boring if what you mean by that is uh this like flat affect of uh what I expect to happen will happen and I will make it so, you know. Right. And and if we're if we're never trembling, are we doing anything worthwhile? Right, exactly. But I think that sometimes when people say, uh, you know, work on your confidence, first of all, often that's feedback to people who are very hard to give feedback to because they're extremely competent, you know, and it's like this mm-hmm thing that you say when you don't have anything else to say, right? (laughs) So interpreting it that way is totally fair a lot of the time. But also, um, like, should we, uh, should we think we're great? You know, sometimes when people have told me, be more confident, which hasn't come up recently, but came up a lot more in my mid-20s, they mean, like, you're really great, but you don't seem to be enjoying that greatness at all. And, um... I don't like seeing you in pain over the fact that you're not as great as you think you should be when you're already pretty extremely great. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing that has definitely changed as I've aged is that I think I'm really great. Um, and you are really great. <laughs> <laughs> and so are you. And we're great together. And like I really revel in that and I feel really settled in it. Um, I also want to do better and do more at all times, and I am extremely ambitious, and uh, it's really hard to have that sensation of enough, mm-hmm. but uh, fundamentally, I know like the, the core is strong, and yeah. so that is a great source of comfort for me, and I think that as I've, um, as I've accepted that, it's also affected um, how c- comfortable other people can be around me, but I'm not doing it for them. Hmm, I love this. Wow. Uh, Also, this topic reminds me of a book I have not read, but I watched the TED Talk by Amy Cuddy Mm -hmm. about power poses. And 
I thought the TED Talk was very interesting, very compelling. I, I confess that I did try it out a little bit a couple of times, like once, once on my own and and then uh another time like someone kind of challenged me like <laughs> to take one of these these ridiculous poses and uh, i i struggle with it um because it seems too easy that you could so so basically the premise her her research shows that you can take a particular power pose for a couple of minutes even just by yourself and that you know, after that, like your body can change your mind so that whatever you're going into after that, you you really are more confident on the inside. And I think that the I've I've watched that TED talk. I've read about half of the book, and I've been very attracted to the idea as well as attracted and like very skeptical um, because again, as you said, it seems too easy. But I think that the the trick there is that as very like uh, I was gonna say intellectual, but that's not even it. Like very like in our heads, people, yeah, uh, very introspective people, um, but also very like life of the mind um, oriented. We often will joke that like when we're on our computers, we're each just a brain and hands, you know, mm-hmm. like, and that's really how I feel. I don't feel that embodied at all. And I kind of love that. I love being like a floating brain um, with hands just like typing really fast. So um, the idea that my body could cause things in my mind is like mm, out of scope for me. <laughs> it's, it's not. It's not really in my realm of understanding because I don't really think that much about my body at all. <laughs> yeah, we we would never go in that direction. I'm sure people who run, for example, would really identify with this, but like we don't run yeah, much. No, usually. yeah, right. <laughs> in only in very small amounts um, under great duress, <laughs> unless someone's chasing us. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So like, um, I think it is like a genuine hack of our psychology to do things for our physical selves. Because uh, like, of course, I can understand why that would have a relationship to my mind. That's just not my experience of life as I see it. But I I am not doubting that it's possible. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually, the charisma myth book also talked about like, don't wear clothes that like cut into you. Because that's not comfortable. So (laughs) that was kind of a breakthrough for me. I started wearing a lot more um, sort of like silk shirts that were kind of boxy because they felt really soft and um, they didn't cut into anything. So (laughs) yeah, it's funny. You know, I always like wish I I wish I could see all of those uh, all those blind spots where like something is definitely objectively true but it's so distant from my experience that I can't access or benefit from it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think what I might also add to this to this question and topic is that yes, we should remove things that are getting in the way of expressing the confidence that we actually have you know for example clothes that are suffocating us or something um but as you said before we shouldn't perform confidence for other people yeah yeah find different people (laughs) 
<laughs> find find people who who make us feel comfortable. Right, exactly. Just by being around them, who we're comfortable around. Mm-hmm. Um. So, final question. This can be a speed round. Should we containerize? Diana, why don't you go first? I I feel like you have a lot to say on this. I do, and how can I even say it all in just a few minutes? Um, take take your time. Okay, okay. Basically, uh, there's two camps here. There's two threads in my life that impact my relationship to this question. One is a great love of containers. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, another thing we share. Another thing we share. I grew up uh, in Ann Arbor, where I don't believe there was a container store, but there uh, was a Target, and the Target had a lot of containers. And Mm -hmm. so that was one of my favorite activities, was running errands to Target with my mom. And often... Once again, nine going on 40. (laughs) Right, exactly. And, like, the objective of these errands would often be, like, more containers to manage all of the explosion of, you know, multiple people living in the same house. So um, that is, like, a very deep, very deep thread. Um, Then there is Marie Kondo's book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. I'm so glad you brought this up. (laughs) I am not alone in uh, having been greatly and somewhat uh, like mystifyingly affected by this slim and quirky tome. And as many people know, like the core tenet is that you should uh, change your default assumption to keeping everything from keeping everything to getting rid of everything. And then you select which things to rescue from that getting rid of dynamic um, by whether they spark joy in you or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then you don't need so many containers. And then you don't need so many containers. So, uh, so, like, specifically, I believe she calls out the container store as, like, serving um, this sickness that we have of just, like, keeping too much stuff. And I remember feeling it as a true epiphany. Like, no wonder uh, I can't keep my life clean the there's no place to put things there's no wiggle room because every drawer is packed to the max Mm -hmm. because i um was focused on containing rather than uh rather than like seeing the bigger picture and simplifying and streamlining so i was very impacted by this book um but because i couldn't do her technique of like revolutionize your house in a weekend and then it will be perfect from then on it was just not practical in my life as I lived it in Berlin I was like okay I've got the intermediary step I'm going to buy containers but only as a means of temporarily storing my categories so that I can like not live in a house whose floor is covered in small piles of junk that eventually blend into each other because like the first step of the technique is that you have to collect everything of a certain category from your whole house and then evaluate which ones if any spark joy based on their relative um relative qualities of joy sparking within context of the group Mm -hmm. so I wanted to do that but there really wasn't that much war space so I was like okay I'm gonna need some tears I'm gonna need I'm gonna need the ability to like do this in stages and you know protect progress without the piles of junk sort of blending Mm -hmm. into each other even the stage thing probably like really goes against absolutely methodology but come on I mean you know I felt like I could be a little creative with it should we follow Marie Kondo's (laughs) method to the T. Or are there variations that are also yeah. effective? Um, so 
so I did this and then I finally had all the categories and I was so satisfied. It took multiple, multiple weekends. But then I looked around and I was like, hey, this is great. I have all my stuff in categories, <laughs> in transparent plastic containers. And like I know from the experience of, uh, you know, tucking them away, that's actually not true. I didn't tuck them away in the middle, but like it turned out that um, it all kind of fit in the bookshelves and stuff that I had. So I ended up getting rid of nothing and only <laughs> only keeping everything in containers. So fast forward to moving to San Francisco. This was like a really smart strategy, um, even though I didn't know at the time that I would be moving to San Francisco. It's like a great prerequisite um, because I... Uh, I needed everything in categories in order to evaluate what to what to take. So indeed, once the specter of moving countries was in front of me, I got rid of a lot of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And I did like a version, a distant version of uh, the Marie Kondo technique um, as we were packing the leaf. But we still shipped a lot of stuff. Um, and here on the other side, uh, I live a few blocks away from... The container, the container store. store. <laughs> and you know what? I'm just embracing it. Mm -hmm. I love containers. And yes, I wish that I only had the one most perfect object of a type. Um, but it's really hard to accomplish that in partnership with someone else because there's so many decisions to make. And, you know, I live with my long-term partner and... Uh, you know, I don't actually want to spend my weekends making hard decisions with him. Like, so sue me. So, you know, <laughs> we'll keep the things in their boxes and yeah. we'll see what earns its way back into our lives. And then the next time we move, we'll do another purge. But in the meantime, we have beautiful closets and we have um, a lot of really stackable transparent containers. <laughs> <laughs> and I really like them. <laughs> I've witnessed these containers. They're fantastic. Yeah. And I fully support you in using whatever portion of Marie Kondo's method you want to. Mm -hmm. I think its greatest effect was on my non-physical life. No surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Where I uh, opened up to letting go of projects that were not bringing me joy slash relationships yes. that were not bringing me joy yes and we can we should put your no more forever projects mm. piece in the show notes yes because it's very relevant to this um uh you you could also tack on a question like should we hang on to projects or mm -hmm. ideas or even goals and dreams mm -hmm. for for too long should or should we like contain those too it's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big question. I know I know we won't get to it today, but um uh, I really support your your journey. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Um let's get a quick yes no from you. Should we containerize? <laughs> Should you containerize in your in your belief system? Okay. I Oh, you, this is a quick yes or no. No, you can. I just wanted to give you. I just wanted to give you a no. You can take as long as you want. It's really hard to do yeses and nos to these <laughs> questions. But here's the thing: I love containers. I don't know that I'm a container store person so much. I love interesting, unusual boxes, mm -hmm. original, one of a kind ones, like that you could find at a flea market. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh, but I have really subscribed to Marie Kondo's idea, like, if you get rid of things, you don't have to contain them in the first place. 
So I'm always trying to get rid of things in responsible ways and moving so frequently has made that easy. Um, but now that we've lived in San Francisco for two whole years, it's the longest we've been in one place. We're starting to accumulate things and we're starting to accumulate containers. It makes me nervous, but it's also a sign of putting down roots. Yeah, I mean, the whole allure of the Conmarie method, as she calls it, for me was that she said word for word in the book, no one has ever relapsed. And if you do my technique to the T, it, your life will be perfect from now on. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> she tells you, and we are so susceptible to this, perfection is within reach. Totally. So, you know, I knew even as I read that, that it couldn't be entirely true, but a no maintenance system was really appealing to me. And I was willing to put in a lot of upfront work to get there. Um, but the truth is that life is maintenance, you know, so, mm-hmm. uh, what I did like from her system, among many other things, but one thing that I think is portable into my actual in-practice actions, is that doing things gradually is not effective. Like many magazines, which we also read as little kids, mm-hmm. like middle-aged women's magazines, um, Oprah was a favorite of mine growing up. Um, oh, magazine. Um, so I, uh, so many of these magazines will say it's really simple. Just organize for twenty minutes a day. But um, Marie Kondo's uh, belief is that you can't do it that way. It requires immense focus, and you can't even really listen to music while you're doing it. You just have to do it, like, all in one go. Mm -hmm. And she says it's just one go, and then you're done forever. What I think is actually true is it's probably one go, you know, periodically. And if you have a big international move or not an international move, if you're moving at all, that's your one day. That's Mm -hmm. your one weekend. That's your one month, whatever. If you are putting down roots finding the occasion to enact something similarly revolutionary but in place that's what I haven't figured out the trick to right so basically the answer to should we containerize is if you incorporate massive frequent international moves into your life plan you you won't even have to deal with this question because (laughs) you will keep preventing yourself from accumulating enough things Exactly. That's the solution.